Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Ruth Ferris was born in 1891, long after the heyday of steamboats on the Mississippi River. But her fascination with these boats and the river they sailed became her life's obsession. Ultimately, the St. Louis area school teacher's collection of river-related artifacts and documents became one of the largest and most important in the country. Elizabeth A. Pickard's new children's book tells the story of Ruth Ferris's childhood and the interests that led to that collection. It's aimed at history lovers ages 3 to 7, and it's called Ruth's River Dreams. And here today to discuss it with us is its author. That's Elizabeth A. Pickard. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So Ruth Ferris, it, it was an amazing life, but she's not a household name, not even in St. Louis. When did you learn of her and her collection? Well, I think I first heard about her um, when I was on staff at the Missouri Historical Society in back in 2010. We were working on an exhibit called Homelands, How Women Made the West, mm-hmm. and that had a local St. Louis component. And we knew that the, the river in terms of environmental history of the region was incredibly um, essential. And it's pretty impossible to do Riverways research about St. Louis and not run into Ruth Ferris almost right away. Really? So that was when she sort of first came uh, came to mind. What is it about this collection that makes it just so critical? You know, I think there's, there's two things. One is she was collecting um, and seeing this uh, ephemera, or these materials as essential um, at a time, like you said, when the technology was waning. Mm. And so, you know, it would be sort of like somebody in 1987 suddenly thinking, gosh, maybe I should save a Betamax, v- you know, <laughs> videotape recorder. Um, there was not a ton of, uh, of interest necessarily. And so because of that, she saved many artifacts and many documents um, that might have just sort of gone on the trash heap of history if she hadn't been interested in them. Hmm. Um, So I think that's the first thing. The second is she herself was a great storyteller and she gravitated toward great stories. And so, um, you know, you can have the most incredible artifact in the world, but unless you really have an understanding of its story, it doesn't have as much human meaning to us um, as as it would without the story. And by that same token, sometimes something incredibly mundane, if it has an amazing story, then takes on a huge amount of importance. And she had that gift of understanding that link between story and artifact. Hmm. So she was born in Moberly, Missouri. Um, She ended up moving to St. Louis not long after that, grew up here in sort of the early turn of the century. What led to her fascination with steamboats? So this is an incredible story. And as she tells it, she was doing research into a long defunct, um, essentially women's high school slash teachers preparation school called the Boonville Female Seminary or sometimes the Boonville Female Institute. (laughs) And um, she found as she was doing research into this institution, um, an autobiography of her own grandmother um, who had gone there and become a teacher at the college or at this seminary. And she told this story, um, you know, that I think sounds a lot like a lot of things that many of us might dream of doing when we're 17, 18 years old. They went on this steamboat. It was packed with people. Everybody was dancing. There was incredible stuff to eat. And Ruth said later that that just set her afire Hmm. for everything to do with the river. And that was really the start of it for her. 
Wow, finding this this firsthand account from her own grandmother, um, and you you mentioned or you your your the children's book you wrote you deal with her grandmother's diary. You write about it so vividly. This is a quote: Her grandmother wrote about pyramids of fruit enclosed in nets of spun candy, and quote immense bowls of jelly that were always dancing and trembling under the lights. And Ruth, the, the character in the book, laughed at the idea of the dancing jellies. I'm wondering if those wonderful turns of phrase are from her grandmother's diary. They are. They're directly things that her grandmother said, yes. That is so cool. You did change the timing of it. You have uh, the the childhood Ruth finding this instead of the college age. I imagine you had to do that to to hook your younger readers. That's right. You know, this is, as I say, this is a made-up story about a real-life person. And um, I do think that her obsession with boats dated way back into her childhood. One of the things in the Mercantile Library is... um, Uh, an incredible book, handmade book that she made about all the different kinds of ships there were throughout history. It's hand lettered and handwritten. And then the the pictures of the the images of the ships are woodcuts that she herself made. So I think it was absolutely in keeping with who she was as a young child. But yes, we wanted the adventure to start at the age uh, of our readers, or as we know, sometimes there's nothing so cool to a five-year-old as an eight-year-old and an eight-year-old to a 10-year-old. So uh, something they could sort of look up to. So you took a little artistic license there, but the heart of the story, yes. this is true. What yes. made you decide to take this remarkable life and go the children's book route with it? Well, one of the really key things about Ruth Ferris is she was an elementary school teacher for many, many years. Um, She taught at community school at about the time that it was founded and taught there until she retired in 1957. Hmm. And so she made boats central to her teaching. Um, When she was teaching um, bar graphs, she would do it with wood stamps of little steamboats um, (laughs) to fill up the bars. She was instrumental in rescuing the Golden Eagle um, pilot house. And um, when she did that, it was brought to the grounds of community school and she wrote plays about the things that would have happened on the Golden Eagle that her students performed in. Um, So we just thought there was no better way to pay tribute to both her love of the river and her love of children. Was this a hard sell for your publisher? No. Uh, in fact, the, the the real trick here is I was still on staff at the Missouri Historical Society, and the conversations around writing the book coincided with the preparations for the Mighty Mississippi exhibit that's open at the Missouri Historical Society right now. So we knew uh, as staff at the Historical Society that we wanted to try to pay tribute to Ruth Ferris. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear my cat is for some reason going completely bonkers. He sleeps most of the day, but because I'm on the radio, he's running. I feel like they, like they have maniac. a sense for that. Just when they can make the most <laughs> mischief, they have to they have to jump up. It's it, it's born in them. It is. Um, so anyway, uh, part of the conversation was about um, how to pay tribute to her. And the idea for children's book came out of those conversations between the Missouri Historical Society and the Mercantile Library. I'm curious about a a choice you made, um, that you decided to really limit the story to her childhood. Were you tempted to give a peek ahead in time and to see her as, as, say, a school teacher and and try to encompass even more of of this remarkable lifespan? Well, you know, the book does do that just a little bit. So it shows her teaching um, and teaching vocabulary words and all of the vocabulary words on the board have to do with boats. Um, And, you know, B is for Belle and C is for Captain. Um, 
And, you know, just the fact that she also became this go-to expert, that this was just something that she was personally captivated by. But by the end of her life, like I said, you, you couldn't do research on the Mississippi River and riverboats without going to Ruth Ferris. Hmm. Um, so today we go to her collection, but while she was living, and she lived into the 2000s, she lived into her 90s, um, people would call her up first. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to think, looking at her life, all of the change she must have witnessed. I guess this was from 1891 to 1993. It almost makes Sorry, your head spin thinking about what, what Ruth Ferris must have seen um, during that time. Yes, absolutely. Um, and thank you for catching my mistake. I, because I lived at the end of the 20th century, somehow I think everything came into the 21st as well. Um, but she, uh, yes, she, what a lifespan to see not just um, Moberly itself was a railroad town. Hmm. So she had seen the technology that supplanted the riverboat, um, but then the interstate highway system and planes and all of these sort of different modes of transit and transport that supplanted the inland waterways as the highways of the nation. Hmm. So what do you hope that young readers take from her story? I hope they take both that sense of adventure that Ruth really had. Um, You know, there are early pictures of her playing with her dogs and holding a chicken outside with her friends and riding horses and, you know, just being really an active young woman. Um, But also this idea that what you think is important is important, and Mm -hmm. it's okay to pursue those things, and you never know where that road is going to take you. And that's actually a good reminder to to circle back to this collection, because this collection just sounds amazing. Um, Is this collection something that the public can access today? Yes. Uh, So um, there are pieces of it that are on display at the Mighty Mississippi exhibit, including the Golden Eagle Pilot House that Ruth was instrumental in rescuing. Um, And when you say Pilot House, I want to just break in there because I've seen the pictures of this and I want to just paint a picture for our our readers. Um, This is a, a part of a boat. Is that correct? That's right. So um, some of the ways that riverboats get described are as um, sort of a tiered wedding cake. So if you can imagine, there's sort of the big base and then a smaller middle section and then a little tiny section up at the top. And that little tiny highest section was the pilot house. Mm -hmm. And that's where the boat was steered from. Um, So it was at the very top of the boat and that allowed the pilot to see snags, um, eddies, currents, things that might be Um, a problem for navigation from that high vantage point. Um, And so when the boat sank, the pilot house was just poking up above the level of the river. And Ruth said, we've got to save it. And so it was literally cut off the boat, uh, taken to community school. And then when she left community school in 1957, it was brought into the collection of the Missouri Historical Society. So that's publicly on display right now in the Mighty Mississippi exhibit. Um, But also her her papers and so forth are available in a central part of the Potts Inland Waterways uh, collection at the Mercantile Library, which is at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Um, And so you can make an appointment with them if there are things that you need to see or look through their findings aids online as well. So there's a, there's some great uh, takeaways for children who might read Ruth's River Dreams, but it seems like even for adults, there are things that, that we can learn from her life. What would you want a parent um, just dabbling into this history or somebody who goes and, and sees the saved pilot house at the Missouri History Museum? What would you want them to remember from her life? You know, I think, A, encourage your kids and their enthusiasms because you don't know where they're going, going to lead. Um, 
But the other is, I think it's an important reminder for us to think about what we take to be every day um, and what for our grandchildren might be a disappearing technology and, and might be worthy of a little more attention than, than we give it every day. Hmm, we should have saved that Betamax player from the 1980s. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Somebody out there might have the the most seminal collection of early 80s technology. And personally, I'd be really nostalgic to see it. So I hope that will also end up at the Missouri History Museum. (laughs) Me too. And I guarantee it's out there somewhere. Somebody's got it. (laughs) Well, we can look forward to that day maybe a couple decades from now. It'll start feeling like a historic artifact and not just something completely obsolete. Yes. Well, Elizabeth Pickard, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.